0: Welcome to Life Continuing, conversations that explore consciousness, healing, and infinite existence. I'm Tanya Berg. Wit, wisdom, and wow are synonymous with Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Her marriage of no-holds-barred humour and honesty, coupled with integrity and compassion, make her one of Ireland and Europe's most sought-after metaphysical healers and synergistic speakers. After graduating university in the U.S., Mary Helen was involved in a high-speed collision, which resulted in a near-death experience. Riddled with injuries, including a broken neck, she went on to earn a doctorate in chiropractic. Endowed with the gift of downloading an individual's biography in order to change their present state biology, Dr. Hensley has facilitated the healing process for countless individuals. Author of 10 books, including Promised by Heaven, co-author of the number one bestseller, Bringing Death to Life, and the first book in Audible history to couple narration, frequency, and brainwave states, called Understanding is the New Healing, miraculous recoveries from physical and emotional trauma. She has also just released Hugh and the Manatee, the first book in her preteen gender identity series, allowing every child to be represented in children's literature. I hope you enjoy this engaging conversation as Mary Helen shares down to earth advice for how to approach life, death, and a heartwarming story of what we can expect in the afterlife. Mary Helen, hi, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
0: Mary Helen, I am so thrilled to be speaking with you. I am very much a fan of your books and your work. You've written many books. Is it 10 in total?
1: Ten in total, and I've got about four on the burners simultaneously right now.
0: <laughs> so, Even better.
1: It's like giving birth. I need to birth some of these things because I'm starting to get I'm I'm getting uh uh fat with literature. <laughs> so I need to get some of these books out of my body.
0: Oh my gosh! Well, I bet you you're channeling them a little bit too, aren't you?
1: One in particular, yeah, Apotheosis, which is kind of my my opus, and it's it gets the least attention yet is the most exquisite because it's not actually me writing it. <laughs> um, you know, it's uh that's kind of an ongoing project. And then it gets, it's, it, you know, it's like the portal stepchild gets pushed to the side um, because a new book will come up and a new book will come up and, you know, two more have popped up on top of it. So I just like, I'll probably be in my seventies by the time it comes out, but I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going along with it, but trying to get these other things out simultaneously. So, yeah. So we've got a few books that'll be coming out this year. All right,
0: that's so exciting! I can't wait. But the the books that I'm familiar with, I just wanted to touch on those. It's um, the one m- book that I really enjoyed was "Promised by Heaven," and that tells your life story, right from the start and the amazing journey that you've been on so far.
1: Yes, and it's interesting because. That book, um, because of the way that Simon & Schuster took that book and edited it, um, because it's actually my first three books, which was Promised, uh, Circles of Light, and The Land Beyond the River, and Simon & Schuster took those three books, and they, they wanted to make one big book, but when they edited it out, they took all the other people's stories out and they were like, you'll see later on. And I was like, no, it's all about the people. And they were like, look, we want to introduce your story. And um, so literally I had all of these stories um, that were my favorite part of the whole thing parked aside. And that's what became my my last book, Understanding is the New Healing, um, my second to last book, I guess, um, which is other people's stories, because I think these are the most incredible insights into Other people's journeys. It's all well and good when you hear, "Oh, that girl died in the car accident and came back to life and has these weird powers," and you know, "Oh, wow!" But the really extraordinary stories lie in with the everyday people who are having these miraculous um, discoveries and changes in their lives. And so, I was really excited that um, I finally got to get that book out. Um, But yeah, it all started with um, with Promise by Heaven, which is the story of you know my strange entry into the world, and then culminating at that that accident that I had when I was 21 and what I've been doing ever since.
0: It's a phenomenal book. And I did share with you that truthfully, when I read your books in particular, I mean, that's where I react out loud as I'm reading the book. I react, I say, you know, I, this can't be happening. I can't believe that just happened to you. Are you kidding? I mean, it's, and it's a true reaction because, I mean, your life has been so like, extraordinary. that's what really drew me to your work as well because listening to you speak you're such an engaging speaker and it's just uplifting because you just have that humor and that down-to-earth personality that just makes just everything okay even if you're talking about the very serious things deeply emotional things you just have that way of just making me feel like it's all right everything's going to be okay
1: well thank you that's, that's that's my greatest compliment because that's what I strive to do is you know it's like doing spiritual stand up and going guys you got to laugh at yourselves i mean this is absolute priceless comedy um you know the contradictions we're living in a sea of it right now and watching um how people react and don't react and the 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 emotional you know the heightened emotional states that people are in and um wait a second, but you said this last week and then, you know, we're, we're comedians. We're literally, you know, we're literally comedians now. And, and this is like the most fun I have. I couldn't pick a time I'd rather be alive than right now because this is just amazing.
0: There's a lot of transformation going on. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's the fun part is transformation is messy. It's like anyone who's ever been on a diet, you don't just become um, sleek and um, supermodel-esque because you've just started eating right. You know, fat comes off in these weird pockets and you're like, you've got dents in your thighs and then like one side of your stomach's a little bigger than the other one. And like, we're, we're kind of freakish. As we're transforming our bodies and as we transform our our mental, emotional and spiritual states, it looks a bit like that as well. You know, you get and that's why we have to laugh because we're all in it. Every single one of us is a hypocrite and every single one of us is absolutely phenomenal simultaneously. That's the dichotomy of dark and light. And that's what Earth is all about.
0: And that's what I love because When you explain the meaning of life from your perspective, from your experience, I like that you give the raw truth. There's no platitudes. It's just, you know, even if it's uncomfortable, if you know or have a knowing or a feeling that it's true, you will say it and that's something personally I've been searching for my entire life as a kid just always uncomfortable I just thought something's not right in life like there's something else I don't know what it is I was too I wasn't really tuned in enough to kind of figure it out but I knew something was not I don't know life was just weird too weird
1: you have that feeling of connection to your higher self. You know who you really are, yet you're put into a world where you're you're forced to conform from childhood, where we're we're put into an educational system that's literally a a, a reward and punishment system. You know, you you get the right answer, you say the right thing, you agree with what you've been told to say. Um, And you are rewarded for that. If you don't and you step outside of that, then you are punished via bad grade or extra work or whatever. And so we get to adulthood and wonder why we're all screwed up. And, you know, then you come in and you start experiencing firsthand these spiritual truths. You begin losing people. You begin to see death differently. And, you know, you've been taught to be terrified or just morbid around the subject your entire life. And then it it visits your doorstep and you're like, hang on a second. That was, that was beautiful. Gosh, what an honor it was to be part of that. And suddenly the blinders begin to fall away and you realize that the world you've been taught to live in doesn't really look like that at all. It's transforming in front of your eyes. The veil lifts, not just between the, the, the earth plane and the, and the spirit world, but here on the earth plane, there are multiple veils here that are lifting literally every day for people. And um, finding that that part of your own truth and and how you want to interact with that, because it's really all down to how you want to experience it here. And so uh, as, you, as you begin to drop the victim mentality and you, and you stop pointing fingers at other people and you take responsibility for the fact that you're driving the bus and that there are going to be plates spinning all over the place. And you know, this one will be the education system. This one will be religion. This will be the way that I interact with my romantic relationships. This will be my family. And those plates always spin, creating an, a consistent dynamic that's always available for you. And you can step in and out of that system and then begin to formulate who you feel like you really are as you interact here on earth.
0: That is a lot to take in, but it makes perfect sense.
1: Um, There we go. (laughs) Yeah,
0: there it is. I don't know if I have any follow up after that. <laughs> Cuz now I just got to go and think about my life. <laughs> oh, wait a minute,
1: are you telling me just to go live? Yep, guys, that's exactly what I'm saying. Let yourselves off the hook, stop judging yourself and for God's sake stop judging other people and just get out yeah. there and do your own thing. You know, I was it's funny. I was in the shower this morning and something really crossed my mind because, you know, of course with the way things are at the moment, um, everybody's got their opinion about what's happening with the virus and will they vaccinate or not vaccinate. And then, you know, there's the mask wearers and the non mask wearers who've now it's in America, it seems to have been split into a political thing. You know, if you you don't wear a mask, you're a red, if you do wear a mask, you're a blue, which is the the biggest pile of nonsense I've ever seen. But that's how easily people fall into that, um, that trap that is laid in front of them. And I was really thinking about this going, somebody had said something to me the other day about the fact, well, no, you don't understand. Of course you have to do this. Um, if if a nurse does this and goes in and wears that mask eight hours a day, it is your mortal responsibility to go in and do the same thing. And I'll go, well, you know what? Unless we're like this is nineteen sixties America and and we're drafting nurses and doctors, they made a choice to do that. They made a choice to go into that field of study. They made a choice to have that as a profession, and they made a choice to earn an income. They are being reciprocated for the choices that they made. And because they made those choices, there is a whole group of people out there who feel like it is it's important to equate my rights or my responsibility with the choices made by other people. And this is where we're starting to see the world turn upside down. Because that mode of thinking, that automatic implication of this is how things have always been done is starting to crumble in front of our very eyes and it's fascinating
0: isn't it <laughs> and it's messy
1: yes it's messy because we are messy
0: and that's the, how we grow yeah
1: exactly exactly mm-hmm. and that's 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 the beauty of it is is the mess
0: i like the mm-hmm. mess i hear you some people ask me because I've started this show, and it's a topic of conversation, consciousness in the afterlife, really fascinating to me. I'm, I've been voraciously reading and searching for answers and enlightenment. And they wonder, they say, well, why, don't, why are you worried so much about the afterlife? Why don't you worry about this life? And my answer is kind of what you just touched on, because I feel if we get the bigger picture, then we can live better while we're here. Does mm-hmm. that make sense?
1: Absolutely. And then, you know, taking it one step further, they're all the same thing. Right. I'm, living, I'm living in my home and I'm sitting here in my bedroom talking to you. My daughter's downstairs taking a ballet lesson in the kitchen and the other one is in watching Harry Potter in the sitting room. And we're experiencing three different realities right now, yet we're in the same house. And so what I think is really important for people, you know, it's not like Pursuing this deep spiritual life. It's pursuing all the experiences that are different when you walk from one room to the next because ultimately it's all the same thing. We're all fractals of the same whole, just experiencing this world in different rooms. And so when you think about it that way, why the hell wouldn't you go out there and live? Do you know why would you sit in fear, my God guys, you know, you' you're Stardust packed into a meat suit, walking around, of a perceived three-dimensional world realizing these spiritual truths and bombs that oh gosh wait a minute it actually isn't 3d how fun is that like i'm i'm going you know what if you get anything out of this talk today stop the nonsense and just get out there and live take the risk guess what if you take the risk and i've made it i've taken a lot of risk and this body should be dead a thousand times over and it is proof in the pudding to me That I have an objective that I came here to accomplish. I know, you know, I know what those things that I'm doing while I'm here is. Therefore, I'll go when I'm ready to go. And no car accident, no virus, no nothing. And that's not being cavalier or reckless with my life, it is believing in the trust that I profess to have. I believe that I cannot, by spiritual ironclad law, leave this dimension until I finished what I came here to do.
0: And we all have work to do. We all have some sort of mission to accomplish, mm-hmm. small or big.
1: Exactly.
0: And let me just go right? in
1: right there. This is where people go, what about the babies? What about the baby who died? What about the person whose life was tragically and suddenly taken away from them? You know, what about them? They did what they came here to do. One of the awful afflictions of being human is that we have gotten into this very, very bad habit of qualifying life by its quantity and what I mean by that is that we, we tend to place a validity around someone's purpose based on the time they're here. Someone could not even make it out of the womb and change lives forever around them and I need people to really stop and think about that. The concept of the birth and the death before someone even makes it out of the womb could have life changing effects. They didn't even get out. They didn't even set a foot at in. Do you know? Mm-hmm. And we're changing lives. And then there are those. You know, my mom just released her first book last week. you last week, last month, and she's ninety one.
0: Mama Helen.
1: Mama Helen, <laughs> blowing me out of the water with her little bestseller. And you know what? It's a it's an epic poem that will give Twas a Night Before Christmas a run for its money. And it's just it's going viral. And we, you know, published it in this beautiful book. And it's what she wanted to give to her loved ones as a Christmas present is how it started. And then it turned into this beautiful piece. And... It's just going out all over the place. And like she's selling books left, right and center at 91, which she prides herself out. She says it's in the Kentucky blood because Colonel Sanders really got his, his, his look in into the world of business when he was what, 69. So (laughs) she says she's just right in order and she's writing her almost finished her second book now. So it's this thing of, you know, oh my gosh, everybody thought after being married to my father for 60 years and because my father was such a dynamic and public figure. My mom was always kind of wing woman. And so when my father died in 2012, they were like, well, that's, that's Helen done. Helen done." my, mm, my mom mm-hmm. got up and her life, her life as Helen began because she was there. She had committed to supporting my father. She was a wonderful wife, mm-hmm. wonderful mother. And then she was like, okay, that's done. You know what? I miss his presence. I miss him terribly, but now I've got work to do. Um, and boy, she's doing it. And so it's this idea that we get that numbers mean anything or, you know, that, the impact that one can make on the world. My mom is, is, is starting her business of touching lives now at, at 91. And so, you know, you have, I have a friend who we were talking about this the other day when she had lost a baby. Um, it was stillborn. And she said the impact that it had on her family and the way that they treat one another and the way that they value their time and their life together um, is so so different because of the birth of that or the, the non-birth of that child. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's something to really think about. We get We get stuck in our little ideas of the way things work and what's valuable and what's not valuable. And you're worried about what other people think. Good God, guys, when you finish listening to this and do finish listening because it's going to be dynamically awesome. When you finish, just get out there and go do something. You know, am I telling you to go be reckless or crazy? Eh, maybe a little bit. Yeah, because compared to probably the confines that you've placed around yourself or have allowed others to place around you, it's time to get out there and shake it up a little bit.
0: That's the best advice I've heard in a long time. Yay! With Mama Helen, I wanted to just add that my mother-in-law not long ago, uh, she's in her sixties and she shares with me her days or ups and downs. And she said, I'm already, you know, in my sixties and there's not much left for me. And I told her, I said, are you kidding? I said, every day is a new day for a whole new life. If you take that approach, if you take a chance, right?
1: Absolutely. You know, and you can be very vibrant and very present. And i like, what's so amazing, you know, my mom was a preacher's wife. Um, and so being in, you know, we're from the South and deeply ensconced in the Christian religion and the Southern Baptist, um, the, the kind of Bible Belt approach to life. Luckily we were, weren't, you know, I didn't come from the Holy Roller background. We came from the more motivational end of things, which was great. My dad was a phenomenal speaker and because he was a lifelong football player, football coach, it was always sports related. So it was really interesting. Um, but you look at that and what that had to offer. And then because of the disciplined lifestyle that my parents chose because of my father's profession, when my father died, my mom got to open up um, into a whole different world. Like she, um, she was there with a tiara and a llama dressed in a rainbow poncho to launch the first pride parade in my hometown in Virginia two years ago. <laughs> wow. <laughs>
0: That's amazing.
1: incredible. (laughs) And then, so she made the choice, seeing the state of what's going on in the world. She went, hmm, you know what? When we do this book, rather than, and of course, it's everywhere. It's on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, the whole nine yards. Like, she just went, boom. It just happened so easily. But she said, I'd like to encourage everybody to support our local bookshop. So we made that book available in all of America. All through the holidays from one bookshop which was owned by a young black single mother and my mom wanted to contribute to everything that's going on the enlightenment the recognition of white privilege the understanding of that and she went you know how could I do that best and she made the choice to drive all business through this one bookshop called books and crannies in Martinsville Virginia And like this girl was inundated with, you know, with, with book orders and all. And I was like, wow, mom, that's really putting your money where your mouth is. And so at 91, she's taking these real and current topics and incorporating what she's doing with her life and giving back into the world in in a way which she feels is a, is a, a massive contribution.
0: That's so incredible. I mean, like my heart's just like jumping right now. That's I know, um, isn't that
1: awesome? So like tell your mother in law, she's got girls, she's got 30 years to go before she
0: gets I started. Know. <laughs> I know. Maybe you need to tell her. <laughs>
1: Jeez. You know? so it's
0: just it's oh. all
1: about how we choose to to quanti you know, quantify and qualify the value of our lives.
0: Definitely. And I think deaf anxiety contributes to that thinking. Yeah because really? it either paralyzes you or it makes you go the other way. That midlife crisis thing, that like what what yeah. now? Now what do I do? And I think some people get stuck in victim mode and like essentially a paralysis.
1: Totally. And and a lot of that has to do with the way that they've been brought up to view death. You know, death is a bad thing, death is something we avoid at all costs. Let's hook our elderly people up to machinery. Hey, there's a global pandemic on. Let's make sure we isolate our elderly from those who love them because they're going to just die off that much quicker um, and alone. And so the idea of how we approach death here, let's separate someone from their loved ones who's 95 years old so that they don't die. Like think of the logic behind that. Mm-hmm. But this is what we're doing. And this is how the way we, we have Conditioned ourselves. Yep. You know what? Let's keep someone alive on machinery at all costs. Um, A, because the insurance money, you know, the insurance money is a fortune and um, B, because God forbid they die. You know, well, nobody wants to lose someone that they care about, but that is part of life and it's part of the process. You know, and if you think about it, like I said here and i Marvel, I'm 51 years old. i like, I've had cancer twice. I've broken my neck, been killed, clinically dead in a car accident. I've had every disease known to man. I should be dead a hundred times over, but I'm not. And one of the reasons is because I don't spend my time fearing death. And I am so fortunate. And that's why I share that message with people to know what it's like. It was literally like walking out of my bed my bedroom and into the hallway. Um, And when it comes down to it, what's most important for people to remember is you are completely in charge always and at the time of your death. And so, yeah, but what if it was sudden? What if it was a suicide? What if somebody got shot? What if they overdosed? What if it was that, you know, everything that the illusion of time at the time of death disappears. So the soul is completely in control of how they are gonna exit the this realm. And that is always and always.
0: Is there ever a, a time or a case where it's truly an accident or untimely? Is that there's such a thing as an untimely death?
1: Isn't that so much fun? Who is it untimely for? The person who's putting the word untimely on it.
0: <laughs> right? Because right. if
1: you've been in that space and you know what that space looks like and you know how easy it is to enter and exit this plane. Um, you'll understand that we're coming in here and we're carrying out different stories and scenarios, and the members of our soul groups are pl- are playing out those scenarios scenarios with us. Um, there's no such thing as untimely; perfectly planned. It's untimely for the person who didn't want to lose the other person, of course, because nobody nobody can picture a right time when they want to let go of somebody they adore.
0: That's one of those raw truths that I'm referring to. That you know, I love how you share how it is or how you've experienced it. And that going to your book, bringing death to life, you co-wrote that with three people.
1: Right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: Pa- Patricia Scanlon, Aidan Story and Pamela Young.
1: Yes. You know, it was born out of, of, it was Trisha's brainchild because her father had just died. And Trisha is a, you know, number one international best-selling author, like 21 times over. She's, she's the business when it comes to popular fiction, but she is, deeply spiritual. And she thought, wow, you know what? I have all these questions around my father's death. Why don't we answer them in a book? And so Aiden's story, who is um, very much so connected with the angelic realm. And then you've got me, who's just, I don't know what you call me. Um, <laughs> but, um, and then Pamela Young, who grew up in a, a spiritualist, Household, and so what we did was Tricia would talk about her experience with with and her understanding of a particular topic, and then each of us would would talk about it from our different perspectives, and it turned into this really beautiful book um, that has helped an awful lot of people. And you know, it was interesting; it was the first time that my mom was ever published as well because she wrote the chapter because none of us had ever lost a spouse. So Pam's husband is still alive. Trisha's not married, um, yet has a beloved who's still alive. Um, Aiden's husband is still alive, and I'm single. And so mom was the only one in our little circle who had lost a spouse. And so mom wrote that chapter, and it was just so elegant, and it was it was about saying, you know what, it's okay to have loved. And it is okay to have lost the individual who was such a huge part of your life, but it's also okay to keep going. There are some people who will literally die of a broken heart and that's okay too because their time here was so intertwined with that individual that they couldn't see a different way or maybe they hadn't orchestrated a different way to live without them. My mom's plan with my father, completely different. She gave 60 years to that cause. They had a wonderful marriage. And then she had stuff she wanted to do. And she was saying to her audience, don't feel sorry about that. It is perfectly okay to laugh again, to create again, to move on with your life when you've lost someone dear to you. And we see this happen oftentimes when parents lose a child and it's like, you know, they'll never be happy again. And, um, you know, it's just, it's, uh, it's. It's it, Look, it is what it is, but it's a sad way, I think, to live when when you deny yourself the chance to attain a different type of happiness without someone in your life.
0: I think guilt becomes a huge factor. Totally. Parents, um, partners, there's a guilt factor to that, and, and people hang on to it. That's a natural uh, inclination for many of us to feel guilty, but guilt is so destructive.
1: I think it's a learned behavior, honestly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: With, when you think about it, you know, is it nature or nurture? I don't think it's in our nature to feel guilty. I think it's in our nature to feel sad and to experience and express that sadness and then move on. But I really believe that that guilt thing is is nurtured.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. In the book as well, you talk about your father's death and I know you talked about it in Promise by Heaven, and there was actually kind of a burning question that I had that you made a comment about. <laughs> <Me back. laughs> I, f- I hope I remember it correctly. I think you were saying, so your dad had dementia. Is and right? Alzheimer's, yep. Yeah. And he was kind of a, was he more of a stoic man, or at least kept his feelings to himself through his life? He was just, he was very disciplined. No, he didn't
1: keep his feelings to himself. He was just very disciplined
0: okay. Um,
1: yeah, he was, you know, he didn't drink, smoke, swear, curse. He found a way to, do, if he could do it, you could do it too. He was a weight lifter. He was taking vitamins before people even knew what they were. And he was exercising every day and he was like, you know, reading his scripture at night. And he was, he, it was that one of those things I could never attain, <laughs> nor would I want to, to be quite honest. Um, that was his path and what he, the way he was contributing, you know, my crazy life is the way that I contribute. It's my ministry. You know, the fact that I grew up so often and can see the funny in it um, is the same as the way my father chose a disciplined lifestyle to teach by example um, and to give a moral compass to the people whose lives he touched. Um, Mm -hmm. It's the same thing dressed up in different clothes.
0: The reason why I mentioned that is just because I think I remember in Promise by Heaven, you were saying that he... The Alzheimer's dementia unfortunately brought out a lot of expressive emotion, frustration, anger. And I think you were saying something like it, it's his opportunity to express himself, maybe when before he didn't, something to that effect. Am I getting that right?
1: You are getting that right. Absolutely. Um, and it the the thought started with um some gentlemen who had been lifelong friends came to visit and just left in tears. And my mother and I were standing there and that was more heartbreaking to watch than anything that was happening with dad. Um, These guys were just, they just stood there and then just said, "I, I can't believe it that coach would be reduced to losing his dignity this way. And it really struck me. And I went, huh, isn't that an interesting perception that because he's babbling or, wearing a diaper or crying or that he's lost his dignity. And I went, you know, what's interesting is I'm looking at a soul in a body that shows a discipline that 99% of the population could never adhere to for 85 years. And he did. And it was important to him that he did that. And it was his best way of, of teaching. And at the end, before he takes his leave, he wants to know what this other stuff feels like and he is a soul that is gathering tools and so he's we were laughing because you know my father never swore and so like he suddenly with his sundowner syndrome with the alzheimer he had a mouth like a sailor and it was so funny because he didn't know how to do it properly and i was just like oh my god dad you're embarrassing yourself and he's like stop it you hell and i'm like no that's not really quite how we say it dad <laughs> Oh. These words, and you know, and people think this is so awful that I think it's hilarious. And one day I will write a book about all of the funny aspects of of losing someone to, to Alzheimer's. And this nurse had come in to his room, and she always spoke to him like a baby. And it used to make it made made me crazy. I can only imagine how it made him feel. And she'd get in his face and talk to him like he was a baby, and. He just said one day, he goes, she was quite large. I'm just going to put it that way. And there's nothing, I don't, you know, nothing about that. She was just a, a quite large individual. And my father, who was very into physical fitness, turned around to her in, in his alzheimer ridden state. He said, Sugar, you'd be beautiful if you weren't a bleeping whale. And my, oh my mother passed out. I, I had to leave. I just had to leave. I was on the floor. Right. And so I can imagine that that is something that my father wanted to say to so many people because he would listen to people complain and talk about, oh, how unwell they were because they didn't put the discipline into their own well-being that he did into his. And I'm sure that as he grinned and bared it and bit his tongue and kept encouraging people um, that I'm sure it caught up with him. and so. I laugh so hard because I'm sure that's how he felt a lot of the time, but never allowed himself to express
0: that. My dad had dementia as well, and mm-hmm. he was more withdrawn, and he didn't really say much in life. And then when he was sick, he didn't really say much then either, except he said a few things that were so uncharacteristic of him. Like I was, unfortunately, I didn't laugh at the time. I can laugh at it now, but he made some Inappropriate comments to me as his daughter, as a woman, and I thought that's not my dad. I can see now it's just the physical, it's the body, it's everything just going. Oh, totally. On. Listen, I Arry.
1: was, the, I was home one night and there were dad was doing that thing where you see glimpses of old him, and and so I was like trying to see if I could just catch his attention for a little bit, and I was like, Dad, and I had him, you know, by the arms, and I was looking him in the eyes, and I said, Dad, I said, Do you know who I am? And he just stopped the babbling and he goes you're mary helen hensley born february 23rd 1969 and you've categorically rejected every adult male relationship you've ever had <laughs> and i said yes it's me it's me <laughs> and it was like you had this just eureka moment and it was priceless well i tell you what i went home and i told my mother That woman did not stop laughing for I don't know how long. And it was so wonderful to see her laugh, you know, in light of what people might see as total tragedy. And I'm going, you know what? It's up to you how you want to see it. You have the right to be grief stricken and somber if that's how you choose to see death with those you love. I didn't choose that. And therefore, I had an incredible experience with my father based on what I needed. And so, you know, that's that's it. It's all about choice.
0: I think you're giving permission, and I, I hope people are hearing this that it's okay to laugh. Some people laugh at funerals; cause it's like an opposite response. But is it really a terrible thing? I'm hearing that it's so not.
1: Well, let me tell you what I got a standing ovation at my father's funeral. Have you ever heard that before? No. Oh, there was a there were over a thousand people at this thing, and I'm going to tell you this story since we're speaking about the end of his life, and it was it was quite amazing. And it was, it was life-changing for me and everybody who's ever heard it. And, you know, okay, we get the idea now. My father was a minister. He was a coach. He was, um, you know, he was men's bench press champion of the world when he was 69 for men over 50. The dude was disciplined. Okay. We got that. Um, And so many people, like so many of his football players who got into college, who otherwise wouldn't have without him. Um, like this place, this car, there was a governor there. There were, oh my God, you can't even believe how many people were at this thing. Right. And so they had such deep reverence and respect for my father and for that discipline that he taught them. And there were also a lot of characters out in the audience, um, you know, who've just been living. My father didn't drink. Maybe they did. Um, You know, it was, they're just people being people. And so here they are and they're there celebrating the life of coach Dick Hensley and it's my turn to get up and it's, and I did the eulogy at my father's request and it was in his will. And so I got up and I told a story that had happened a few months earlier and people couldn't help themselves afterwards. They literally just started this rousing round of applause and people were crying these tears of relief. That's what it looked like to me from the, from the pulpit looking out they were tears of relief and it was like, well, if this is, if this is how coach saw it, then I can see it this way too. And so I told the story of my, my mother and I were in the nursing home and it was really, really late. And my father had been, had to go to the nursing home because he had become a danger, not only to himself, but to my mother. And that's not how he would have been in his, in his um, waking life when he was copus mentis, but he wasn't. And so we had to do what was best in order for him. And so when people are making that difficult decision and they're so guilt stricken and all that, think about it from the perspective of what's right for the person who's living as well. So to put my mother in danger because my father was losing his mental faculties, I don't think is a good reason to keep somebody at home. Um, so there are people who have to go this route. And that's something that we, you know, e- I easily made the choice to do it um, in our family. And I'm the one who, I'm the one who took him in there and, so we're in the nursing home and dad had had a particularly bad day and he had sundowners and you know he was shuffling around and he'd go out and drop his pants in the hallway. And, um, you know, then he'd come back in and he would never lay down flat because if he did, he thought he was going to die. And which is really interesting for someone who has spent their entire ministry teaching people about the afterlife and not to fear death. It's like, it just left him at the end of his life and none of it mattered and so dad was shuffling around and he'd go in and he'd wash his hands and he'd come back out and he'd go in and wash his hands just compulsively and my mother and I were just sitting there we were exhausted and because he'd, he'd been very physical that day as well and this guy was a hulk of a man so we're sitting there and next thing dad shuffles over to the bed and he gets in the bed and he lies down and my mom's eyes got so big and she said. Was he doing? And I was like, just just wait a minute. And she's looking at me like, is this it? And I'm like, no, because one of the things I can do is in the auric field around somebody, I can see when somebody is going through that transition process. And funny enough, it doesn't look like lights dimming down. It looks like fireworks. And so I could see that there were no fireworks. My father wasn't transitioning. He was having an experience. So he gets into the bed and at this stage, it had probably been three months since he could speak. Um, and that was difficult to watch. He was a magnificent or- orator. And, you know, all he could do was babble. He couldn't put any words together. Um, and so that had been going on for months now at this stage. We would not heard him speak. And he lies down and he starts reaching up towards the ceiling. And next thing he goes as clear as day, I can see it. And my mom nearly drops on the spot and she's like, what's happening? I said, just hold on, hold on. I said, what do you see dad? And he goes, the land beyond the river sugar. And it's more, more beautiful than anything you ever wrote about. And I said, all right. And you know, we're just marveling at the fact that he's speaking crystal clear. There's no babbling. And he's having this experience where apparently he's seeing the other side. And I'm like, well, tell me dad, what do you see? And he goes, mama, I can see mama. Now my mother's convinced he's getting ready to die. And I'm like, mom, he's not, he's not dying. He's he's just seeing something. And I said, well, how does she look? And he's like, she looks so young and so beautiful. And I'm like, isn't that wonderful? And then he freezes and he is like a deer in headlights. And he goes, oh my gosh. I said, what's up, dad? And he turned and he looks at, at us and he goes, daddy's there. And now for my father, this was a very big deal because according to his standard of living, according to like the average human being standard of living, he was probably just a regular guy. But to my father's standard of living, you know, drinking or gambling or or whatever he did, my grandfather, my father's father had not made it to the other side. He'd not made it to the land beyond the river based on my father's Christian criteria. And so my dad is getting the shock of his lifetime because in the same space he's seeing my mother, whom he revered, he is seeing my grandfather, whom he was sure had not made it to heaven. And he turns to my mother and he said, Helen, I've had it wrong all along. Everyone's welcome here, everybody gets to go. You can't mess this thing up. And if that's not a mic drop, I don't know what is. And I'm telling the story at this funeral and the place erupted. And if you could have seen the looks, I mean, like the tears, the tears of relief and joy. It was one of the most profound moments in my life. Not just my life as a speaker, but in my life. And that really kind of says it all to me. You can't mess this thing up. So get out there. And do what you came here to do. And that's experience everything. No matter how joyful it is. No matter how uncomfortable it is. You are here
0: to experience it all. I'm not crying. You are. <laughs> that's all I have to say.
1: Oh, geez.
0: Oh, my goodness. And I've I'm told just... that
1: story so many times. It gets me every time. <laughs> oh,
0: seriously, I can't hide it. Look, I'm human. I'm totally... Moved by that, and I hope other people are hearing this loud and clear. It really kind of says it all, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, what what else? What's left to say? <laughs> Go out and live. Let's do it. <laughs> Party time! Oh my! As Billy said, said,
1: be excellent to one another. Yeah, that's the greatest thing that you can do in the best way you can. You want to talk about how to survive a pandemic? How to get through this? The pandemic is of the spirit. This is just another virus. And if it was deadly, everyone who's come in contact with it would be dead. And if people can't see that, then they really need to step back and take a look. They need to reevaluate. A deadly and lethal virus is deadly to everyone it touches. This is a virus. And what is lethal is the way that we are behaving towards one another. There are far more people who are surviving this than not. Yet we are treating each other as if we're crazy, as if we're we're contaminated, as if we, you know, we we've deprived people of the of the opportunity to touch, to be hugged, be loved, and therein lies your pandemic.
0: I hear that. We've had a great conversation right now. You've touched on so many things on an emotional level, given a lot of great insight and just perfect advice. There's another aspect though to your healing ability, and that is you're involved with sound healing and Absolutely. i know there's i know there's two types of frequencies there's the fibonacci and then there's the solfeggio i hope i'm saying that right uh huh and so you the frequencies you work with is the solfeggio frequency can you talk a bit about what that is
1: yeah well you know at the end of the day frequency is frequency is frequency whether it's fibonacci whether it's solfeggio really what's happened is when you use frequency what we're doing is I came back from this accident where I'm, I've, you know, I've died. I've gone into this space and I've gone, Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Put me back in coach. I got stuff to do. Once I had that profound realization of what I'd actually come here to do. And I was like, my God, we're all just, we're, we're all frequency and light on the same beam. We're just different aspects of this. And the human body is here to serve us, not the other way around. The body is here to serve whatever it is that your soul came here to experience, whether it's perfect health, whether it's emotional distress, whether it's um, illness. So it doesn't matter what kind of frequency that that we're actually using. Wherein lies the trick is the discipline of utilizing the frequency. So it doesn't matter if ohm is your buzz or if you're using. 528 hertz, which is the resonance of human DNA. It's the repetition and learning how to use the body in service to your soul. And so what we know is that the human brain um, can easily be reprogrammed, just like a computer. And so if somebody continuously defaults back to a certain way of thinking... Um, let's say if they're not in present time, the only other places they can be is in the future and in the past. And they have to get there because those things aren't actually happening any longer. But the body has the capacity to use neural pathways in order to go back to the cellular memories or to go forward into the expectation or possibility of the future. So what's so interesting about frequency is that we can use different frequencies. And so like there's literally a frequency for everything. For every human organ, there is a resonance. For every spiritual state, um, there is a frequency. And this drives um, my my frequency guru, the guy who creates all of the, the stuff for me, Greg, this drives him crazy whenever I do this. And so I try not to do it too often because everything he's about is creating beautiful pieces of music and the frequencies and all. I'm like, at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter. And he's like, what? And I'm like, What you're creating is something beautiful that is captivating and keeps someone focused. You're creating a tool. But at the end of the day, it's the usage and discipline of the tool that's creating the change. So I can drive from my home to Dublin in a Volkswagen, or I could drive from my home to Dublin in a Rolls Royce. The Rolls Royce is going to be the smoother ride, right? But both of the vehicles are going to get me to Dublin. So that's how my that's how I like to explain when people are like, yeah, but I use this. Rock on, use it. But use it with a discipline that's allowing change to, to take place in the neural pathways in the brain. So if we take somebody, for instance, who's in any kind of trauma and they keep going back, let's say they were raped when they were a child, and they keep going back to that, yeah, but I keep trying and I've read all the books and I've done the workshops and for some reason, I keep going back to that and it keeps sabotaging me. And now I'm 50 years old. Well, what's happening is the only way that can happen is if the neural pathway back to the experience to the cellular memory still exists. And when you use frequency to go in and, and not just pave over the neural pathway or the roadway to the memory, but you go in and use frequency like a stick of dynamite and you blow that bad boy up. Therein lies the difference between therapy, which fills in the potholes, and frequency, which blows it up and no longer makes the thought possible. You can still remember this. You can still glean the wisdom from the experience. But the overwhelming trauma of going back to revisit that, which the body can get stuck in that loop, is no longer possible. And that, my friends, is the magic of frequency.
0: That's amazing. You know what? You're a showstopper, Mary Helen. <laughs> I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> as many times as I've done this, I'm like, I'm why can't I think? <laughs> so. Yeah, I'm just chatty. <laughs> I love it. No, I love it. Yeah. That's some deep healing. Let me say.
1: That's some deep healing. Let me tell you something a little exciting. I'm okay. very, very excited about but Hopefully this week, I keep saying this week, but because of everything and lockdowns and all sorts, it's dragging its tail a little bit, but I am getting ready to release the first book in Amazon Audible history that is backed by these frequencies. And I am so excited. I can barely stand it. And why is this so phenomenal? A, because it's really fun to be the first at something because that's kind of hard in these days, you know, in this day and age, but... What's happening is that my audio listeners and the the book is understanding is the new healing where I've taken a smattering of, like I said, at the beginning, when we started talking, the stories that were extracted from my story promised by heaven became understanding is the new healing. And these were my favorite things because they weren't just my own story. Yawn, I know my own story. It's the phenomenal stories of all of my fellow travelers in the world. And I've backed each of these stories based on whatever the story is with different brainwave states, whether I'm in gamma or beta, um, and I have coupled them with the frequencies that I would use in a healing session in order to heal the same thing. So someone could be listening to a story about a woman healing herself of breast cancer through a realization of why she called the cancer into her life in the first place. And the frequencies that I would be using in that, they can be listening to that frequency while they're hearing me read the story. And what's so amazing is it now goes from an audio experience to a completely immersive experience
0: in cellular frequency. That's incredible! I've never even heard of that. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my yes. god, I can't wait to listen to that. That's and that book, I mean, and I read that book as well. The stories are are also just incredible. I can see where you get so much learning from it because they take you into so many different places and directions. I really highly recommend it.
1: Well, thank you. And it was, you know, when I was out in Los Angeles recording it, I was staying with my friend Angelica and she was having the poor child, you know, coming home and I would go, look, this is what I did today. And she's listening to this and she's just like a mess, but in a great way at the end of it. She was like, oh my God, I can feel the words in my body. And I went, yes. So I had to guinea pig everything on her the whole way through. And it was just such an amazing process. So I'm very, very excited about that book. And um, I'm also very excited. I just released the first book in um, my new children's series, which is addressing gender identity. I'm like, go for it all. That's what I'm doing here. And I saw a real hole in children's literature where all of these beautiful beings that are coming onto the planet now are not represented in children's literature. It's still the old boys play football, they wear blue, girls play the piano and they wear pink. That's not the world that we live in. And there is really very little for these children who are coming up to read where they can find themselves in a story. And I was like, well, stop moaning, Mona Lisa, go write the book. So I did. And so the first book in the series, Hugh and the Manatee, just came out a few weeks ago and um, I'm already into the second book now and already have the third waiting in the wings. And I'm just, it's like I'm bursting to get this stuff out. It's, it's so exciting um, to be able to be part of making children's lit legit in this day and age where literally every child will have the opportunity to see themselves in a book because listen, every princess is not being rescued by a handsome prince on a white horse it's just not the way this world works. And so I think to give kids a, a powerful, positive, and empowering message where they're able to see themselves and the heroes and heroines and the thems and the days who are in these books are far more representative of the world that they live in. That's awesome. So and that's so my awesome. other project that I'm working on.
0: Yeah. And breaking down those walls and those barriers is how we're all going to finally come together.
1: Totally. So much fun. That's so awesome.
0: much fun! You have been—I can't believe how much you've been up to. Things got a little <laughs> bit quiet for a while, and I thought, okay, well, I bet you have more stories. No doubt, you have more stories. So I'm so excited to oh. hear all of this. This is great. <laughs> I also yeah, noticed great. on your website you also have a just jumping back to the sound healing. You have a or Dreams. Is that a, another album of sounds?
1: Yes. But yeah, Laramar Dreams is a compilation of stuff that I use in the healing pro- process. Um, Greg Papagna, who is the founder of Signs Music, S-I-N-E-S, SignsMusic dot or Signs Music, you'll see it, find it on Spotify and basically everywhere. There's music. Um, Greg and I have this wonderful relationship that that spans multiple lifetimes, and he, you know, I came in as as the chatterbox, and he came in as the technological genius, and so we've found one another again and we've coupled those things. And Larimar dreams is actually a compilation of his beautiful work. Um, The album is um, there's gosh, there's all sorts from an eight hour loop of, of 528 Hertz that I use with people who are fighting serious illness within the body because it reprograms DNA um, down to divine alignment, which takes somebody into a space of 963 Hertz where they can actually have lucid conversations with those who are no longer in physical form. Um, There's literally something for everything. And it's in the whole album of Laramar Dreams is all of those things that I use put together. Um, So it's, you know, it's the best 33 books you'd spend because once you have it, you have it for good. And the the listening instructions are, are in with the download as well. And so I just wanted to make it cheap, cheerful and easy for people to have access to that total empowerment. Um, where they can stop looking outside of themselves and finally come to realize we already are that
0: which we seek. The 963 hertz, can you just elaborate a little bit on that? Because I remember you explained that we raise our vibration to that level and then the spirit world will bring it down so that we kind of mean that.
1: those who are not incarnate are able to, to lower their vibration to the space and, and, and there we shall meet. And so i have people who will train themselves to use the frequency and they'll have the most incredible lucid dreams with loved ones. Um, they'll have visions or visitations that to them are just as real and transform their concept of reality. So the very same as like you and I are totally accepting that I see you, you see me, except for I can't touch you. You're not sitting in my presence. You're in Canada. I'm in Ireland. um, But I know that you're a a real and valuable and contributing presence in my life. Yet you're not the same as me walking out into the sitting room and holding my daughter's hand. Um, You're still in a body, but you're in a body different somewhere else. And so 963 kind of shatters that illusion and allows us. I, I have a, a, a wonderful girl, um, Ashling Fitz, uh, Fitzgibbon, who's doing a book and she's literally writing um, with her mother who's deceased several years. And she has used that frequency in order to um, communicate with her mother and, and get her thoughts and ideas on what she wanted in the book. And it's, it's phenomenal, you know. So, I mean, our possibilities are, are limitless. They're only limited by you know by by our own minds.
0: That's something that I've I'm hearing over and over again. I'm experiencing it, and that's absolute truth right there. Mary Helen, thank you so much. This time has flown by very quickly. I feel like it's been five minutes.
1: My pleasure. <laughs> thank you're- you so much for having me on. And you know, you said something at the beginning of this. You were like, Oh, you know, I know you're you're a doctor, and it's not as important as, as doing a podcast, and, or being a doctor is more important than doing a podcast. And I'm like, that's something that we need to change because our concepts and perception of what's important or not, you know, and we've really seen this hit home with the definition of what we find essential, um, you know, oh, essential this and essential that. We're hearing an awful lot of that right now. Depending on what way our lives are unfolding and the stories that we're living, a makeup shop to a girl who puts makeup on in order to distract herself from taking her own life and gets through one day to the next, it's essential. A person who's making food for someone who can't make their own food. It's essential. A person who's adjusting the spine so that somebody's nervous system can function at, opt- you know, at optimum. It's essential. Being able to visit a psychologist or psychotherapist and, and talk through, it's essential. There are none of us who are not essential really really important that you understand that you know that's great that i you know okay i've had the near-death experience and i write the books and all that but without you who knows about me so it is a symbiotic synergistic exchange of energy and light and one i am very grateful for so thank you because you are essential in my
0: life so beautiful mary helen thank you so much thank you Thanks for listening to Life Continuing. A special thanks to Mary Helen Hensley. For more about Mary Helen and her new book, please visit MaryHelenHensley.com. The advisor to the show is Amanda Capito. The music for this podcast was composed by Richard Farron. I'm your host, Tanya Berg. Make sure you subscribe and rate the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And follow on Instagram at Life Continuing Podcast. And be sure to join me next time, where we'll continue this conversation about life continuing.